Salutations, Mets fans, and welcome to your regular edition, more regular edition, slightly less irregular edition of Amazing Avenue Audio. Well, it's a podcast, and you might know by now it's the official podcast of your SB Nation, New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. We're back for a second episode this week, sort of. Well, the first one was more the sort of. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me is Steve Sippa. Steve! Recording this on Wednesday night in the Wednesday afternoon getaway day game. Ioannis Cespedes took out a fan in the front row with what I initially identified as the uh, the Kinshasa or the Bamayi knee from uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. But upon further reflection, I may have watched the Vine 10 to 50 times at work this afternoon. <laughs> it was probably closer to the uh, Psycho knee kick, actually, from Kenta. Now, uh, Hideo Itami, or you might know it as the Knee Plus from Daniel Bryan. But in that vein, because it's a way to actually shoehorn pro wrestling talk into the podcast without people having a leg to stand on, usually complain about that sort of thing. What Met, what 2016 Met, would you want as your tag team partner? I think that it really depends on what era they're going to be wrestling in. Okay. So if it was during the territory days, I'd go with Lucas Duda because there's really not much character there, but he could wreck shit up and he'd be a good hot tag for my face in peril. I literally feel like we've had this conversation before and somehow Lucas Duda and the one-armed Andre the Giant singlet came up. Yeah, probably. Uh, If it was the 80s, I would go with Syndergaard because I really feel like he'd explore the Thor character a lot with 80s props, 80s character-centric music. He basically looks like a Von Erich brother. Yeah, and, and a really good Mean Gene promo. <clears throat> uh, if it was like the 90s, like the Monday Night Raw's war era, I'd go with Matt Hollywood Harvey, of yeah, course. Yeah, yes, of course. Um, and then if it was more modern day, I think I'd go with Cespedes because he has the uh, he has the indie background that you really need today to be a fan favorite. <laughs> and the grand WrestleMania entrances that he would be capable of, of would just be glorious. Just walks out and there's just like a, a f- fleet of like canaries flying overhead. <laughs> the rally canary, yeah. Um, I'll I'll put it to you this way, Stephen. I thought long and hard about this. Oh, Steve Sippa, don't be sour. Clap for your two-time uh, AL Cy Young Award winner. Yeah, it's Bartolo Colon. It's got to be Bart. Of course. He's got, he's got the you know. He's basically a member of New Day as it is now anyway. He's good for the hot tag. And you know he's uh, been eating his bootios, so. <laughs> so I was thinking about how to get Bartolo in there, but he would like, I don't know. The hair he is would... getting a little like adorable Adrian Adonis now too, which I kind of like. Has a little more dimension to his character in the ring, I think. <laughs> he would get winded so easily though and then I'd have to do oh, more come work. on. He's in really good shape. Uh... It's not that catch he made. You saw him, like, working out at Estadio Bartolo Colon. That's very true. He's like, uh, I think he has, like, Bam Bam Bigelow level athleticism. He could, yeah. Or at least Hugh Morris. He can do a moonsault. Bartolo Colon can do a moonsault. I would I would pay to see that. I would like to see that. It's episode 181 of Amazing Avenue Audio. It's time. The Mets are 3-5. and five. They played eight games, Steve. <laughs> you know what we that means. We have to call a Panic City town hall meeting so here's what we're gonna do i will give you a series of topics relating to the mets 
early season storylines, li- story hashtag narratives, if you will, and you will rate them on the Panic City scale on how concerned you are about each of them. So if you're not that concerned, you might say, I'm not that concerned. Level two, we'll go one step up from that, is, look, it's early in the season, small sample size, small sample sample size, but, and we can elaborate from there, level three is, you know, I'm a little concerned. And level four is, panic city, baby. (laughs) So we'll start with this. Just zoom out. The Mets offense. I am at level one right now. I'm not not concerned. No. I think I agree with you. You know, it's eight games. They're they haven't hit for power, which would be my one concern. They're still getting on base. They've uh probably had a little bit of the Babic Babip bad luck. I don't know. Is, is Lucas still ranting about that in the uh, pizza <laughs> channel on Slack right now? I can't go in there anymore. It's bad. It's Panic City. It is Panic City in the uh, Amazing Avenue Slack right now. One Lucas Vlahos, who you might know from podcasts such as this one, is not happy with the Mets Babbitt flock right now. I, I don't like. I don't see what's the. The thing I've reinforced all the time. They have eight good hitters. Eight major league quality hitters. Uh, the only person who could drive in any runs today was Kevin Plowacki, who's not, at least at this time, one of those eight major league quality hitters. At the end of the day, it's eight, you know, we're eight games in. Right. In, what, you know, four just... days ago? Five days ago? They scored seven runs against the Phillies like it was easy? No, it's, it's one of those things. Now, if it was, you know, what stays, April 13th? If it was August 13th, if we had an eight-game stretch where the hitting was as anemic as it kind of has been, then I'd be a little more concerned. But it's April, you know, whatever. I do think that sort of the the caveat for this whole podcast really is, as we know, and people have tweeted them out, there were 11 separate instances when the Mets went 2-4 and last year, uh, non-overlapping. There were six where they went 2-5. and Probably more where they went three and five, which is what they are right now. These things happen, but the only data we have to analyze is these eight games, where they've Sorry. been three and five. Sixty-one win pace. Thank you, Anthony DeComo. <laughs> I don't. I'm not ready to uh, hit the big red panic button yet, on the offense at least. I think they're gonna hit. You know, look, it's been cold, and they've had a bunch of days off, and there's whatever else going on. I'm just not that worried about it right now. Let's drill down a little bit. David Wright. I am at a two. Slightly more concerned, but still not very. Yeah, I, I'm i in the same place. I mean, he's... I don't, I don't know, dude. Again, it's like goes back to every time we bring it up. We just don't know. Yeah, you just don't. And... The ability to stay on the field aside, the bats looked like a slider speed bat recently. The approach is still really good. Um, he'll still, I think he'll still jack one every once in a while. I think he'll get his hits, but you know, he's, a, he's in sort of the KG veteran mode now. And in the field, how long can he play third base? 
as long as he's penciled in there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you don't want to see like the stat cast data on his throwing velocity, probably. Like, you see him come in. There was a there was a couple in the last two games against the Marlins. On Monday and Tuesday, just those little choppers in where he makes the bare hand play. And everything looks fine. Looks like twenty seven year old David Wright coming in making the bare hand play, and then he throws the baseball. <laughs> just like that's not a third base arm anymore. And his arm was always average to solid average at third. You know enough to play there, but it wasn't really a weapon. You know once that takes the grade jump down to fringy if it's even that at that point this point which it might not be in all honesty and i don't know what it is it could be the 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 twisting the turning it could just be normal aging curve stuff it just doesn't look good the scariest part about that is really with david's profile i don't really see him fitting particularly well anywhere else i mean right um you know first base you know he'll be immobile more or less you know he's he's gonna be stationary at the base but right and he's not tall is the other thing yeah Uh, and you could even argue that stretching and stuff like that might be worse for his back i don't know but that's a possibility as well outfield i don't think also running you know first of all it would have to be happening and they're a plethora of outfielders right now so i don't i don't know Get well soon, David. That's, that's all. Bring the DH to the National League in 2017. <laughs> uh, for <laughs> David, maybe. <laughs> okay. So David Wright, we're a little bit concerned. Not terribly concerned, but a little bit concerned. Ioannis Cespedes. Um, I'm not concerned at all. I'm, I'm not either. Um, he's hitting the ball hard. TM Lucas Lajos. Um, and... <laughs> Uh, hit that ball last night that really, if the wind wasn't whipping in from right field, would have been a second deck homer. And he hit a second deck homer. Um, it's going to come. I mean, he can't hit high fastballs. We know this. This was in stark relief last season, too. He's going to get his. He probably shouldn't be <laughs> uh, diving full speed into the left field bleachers, ideally. Yeah. That dude got <laughs> Correct. Um, gotta watch that vine again. They haven't pulled it down. We need like the high speed camera version of that. I think. You see I mean, the exact I, moment of impact. Yeah, you know, ripples across the guy's. He's still skin. a good base runner. You know, he is what he is. It's Joanna Cespedes hasn't changed. She's had a not great eight games. Remember his first week or so in a Mets uniform last summer weren't great, and Mets Twitter was having their usual conniption fit. <laughs> about that and then he went off and slugged 600 the rest of the way so i am also not particularly concerned about Johannes cespedes jacob de grom's lat uh, also at a one not very concerned really well i mean last year in may was it or june early june there were some rumblings about you know he's having some i think it was a shoulder inch aches and pains i don't know what it was but he was having some issues and then he strung off you know next two months of cy young award caliber pitching i am concerned in so much as <clears throat> if he has to spend any significant time on the disabled list and he's gonna throw a bullpen in cleveland this weekend it sounds like the six starters logan verrett and look i like logan verrett i think uh the hate man on twitter once called me 
Logan Barrett's biggest supporter, R.I.P. the hate man. I don't know if that's actually true. <laughs> I did support him, protecting him in the Rule 5 draft over Akil Morris. I think is what it was well, at the that time. Will not fly. That I know. Fly. We'll get to that. We'll get to my Binghamton <laughs> trip. Such as it was later in the show. You've already heard about day one. We'll talk a little bit about day two when there was actual baseball. And he's a look. He's a cromulent back end starter. I think probably like when he has a good when he has his slider working, like he did uh, this afternoon. Against admittedly not a great Marlins lineup, he can. Uh, Take the ball every fifth day and give you a chance to win. He ain't Jacob DeGrom. And that's the thing about this Mets team. They're still built so much around pitcher help. Because the drop-off from the starters in the rotation, the ideal starting five, to Logan Verrett and Sean Gilmartin and whoever's behind those two is significant. You know, if he has to miss a month, and I'm not saying that's going to happen. It could be nothing. But anytime I hear it's not serious, he's going to throw a bullpen. We're going to play <laughs> a man down for a few days. Expect if you don't want to put him on the DL, expect him to be on the DL at some point. That, uh, that does make a difference, especially when the offense isn't performing. Like I said, only level two. Because Jacob DeGrom is a major part of this team. Intrinsic to their success. You want to see him on the bump every fifth day. Like, I don't think it's a serious injury that's going to cost him the season or anything or any significant amount of time, but you still want him out there. Bartolo Colon. <laughs> well, negative one. Yeah, this is the next news talk about Bartolo Colon. I'm not concerned about Bartolo Colon. It's great. Why would you even think such a thing? I'm a little upset they can't get him any run support. I just know, like, May 7th, he's going to be, like, 3-1 and one with an ERA of, like, low twos. I'll make another tweet about him starting the All-Star game that people will be shame-retweeting in six months. Sure. And I will do then, it gladly. Then the next start is going to be the every... eight-earned runs game. I definitely want him to make the All-Star game this year so I can get the brown with yellow sleeves National League All-Star jersey with Cologne 40 on the back. Yeah, those are terrible jerseys. Those are great. What is wrong oh, with you? Those are like the 80s Padres uniforms. I mean, there literally are the 80s yeah. Padres uniforms. Probably late 70s, really. That is mm-hmm. a great jersey. I was actually looking at the, the Home Run Derby Mets hat, which is just like the Padres hat with the Mets. <laughs> and like the little arc. I'm thinking about buying it. It's hideous, but... I don't know. There's something about those mustard and brown Padres jerseys I really like. Well, more power it's, to you, then. It's better than, like, the pillbox caps yeah, they yeah. tried for the Reds last year. I appreciate them going out on a limb sartorially. You listen to my Effectively Wild NL previews. I'm very sartorially uh, concerned when it comes to stuff like this. So no concern about Bartolo. Um, I was supposed to write something to this effect for the uh, BP Met staff post about what we're irrationally concerned about, but I got stuck at the stadium and, and didn't get it. So I'll, I'll, I'll phrase it to you this way, because this was my irrational concern. Uh, Noah Syndergaard's elbow literally exploding on the mound when he tries to throw a 95-mile-an-hour slider at some point during the season. How concerned are you about that? 
there's a greater than zero possibility. <laughs> um, I'm not actively concerned about something like that, but in the back of your mind, you like know, the, like the full point, John Lackey, only there's actually like the arm yeah. just becomes attached. I mean, these things could happen at any point. So. Sure, it just, it's not natural. That's the thing about it. This is just really a way to shoehorn Noah Syndergaard into this week's podcast. Mm. Um, Steve, there's going to come a time six weeks from now where there's a very real possibility where I will come here on Twitter or somewhere I will say these words, Noah Syndergaard has three 80-grade pitches. It's very possible. I mean, sliders almost all the way there now. The changeup looked disgusting. Yeah, I don't. I don't. It's it's not natural. It's I have no explanation for this because there's like there's the Matt Harvey jump. There's the Jacob Degrom jump. It's not a player development strategy, but it happens. Corey Kluber, for a non-Mets example, guys that were not considered. Great prospects turn into top of the rotation starters. Guys that are maybe twos or threes turn into number ones. That happens even more often. Like Noah Syndergaard had ace potential. But this is just another level. This is something like there's there's no words. It's it's like MLB the show on easy mode. It It's it's like you just max out your creative player stats. It's a cheat code. It's the fucking Game Shark, man. I don't know how. I've said this about Familia before, too. We'll get to Familia. Uh, I don't know how anyone squares up Noah Syndergaard at this point. Well, they haven't been. No, they, they really haven't. <laughs> like, how many. I guess there's Stalin Kershaw, who I love. How many right handed starters will you take over Noah Syndergaard for the rest of the season? Right-handed starters. Right-handed starters. We take over Noah Syndergaard <sighs> for the rest of the season. Felix. Just because I like King Felix. Mm-hmm. I think that's a reasonable um, choice. Yeah. Um, I've never really been much of a fan of Scherzer. I could see someone picking him, and I'd be fine with that. Mm. Arietta. Um, yeah, it's like, yeah, dude just had one of the best runs in baseball history in the second half of last season. But I don't know that I'm mean, taking him over North Syndergaard. Three elite level pitches, potentially. Not saying he's there yet, but it's possible. It'd be funny if his curve ends up his fourth best pitch and it's like a plus borderline <laughs> plus plus offering. I don't know how this happens. Dan Worthen, I guess. I guess you take the good and the bad with Dan Worthen when the good is Noah Syndergaard suddenly has an 80-grade slider. Just sit back and enjoy it. You do one, I guess, it's just some 93-mile-an-hour slider that started on the outer half and moved down and left hard. And just like, it's like you can't hit that. I mean, he can miss in the zone with with the slider up because it's 93 miles an hour, and, and guys will still th- swing through that at their hands. Only 93? Yeah. Jeez. It's it's silly. 
when he doesn't get sort of the, the hard tilt on it, it doesn't guys aren't necessarily going to square it because it's 93 miles an hour. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. But, yeah, it's not... Maybe, maybe he's the dude. Maybe he's Nolan Ryan. It's possible. I mean, I'd take Nolan Ryan as a uh, career arc. I mean, at this point, you have to look at him. We were, I had a conversation about this with people in our secret West Wing Slack. But, I mean, it's not that secret. I've talked about it on the show before. Like, what's his... Like, his 90th percentile outcome now is probably like Nolan Ryan. Like, no fooling. A little bit higher than that. I mean, this is if he stays healthy, obviously. And has that kind of, you know, Nolan Ryan gentle decline. That, that's a 90th percentile outcome. That's only happens 10% of the time. <laughs> you know, like, his... Is Jacob deGrom outcome? We can both agree Jacob deGrom probably hit his 99th percentile projection as a prospect. His 99th percentile projection is the best right-handed uh, pitcher in the modern era. Like, that's in play. One <laughs> percent chance. Theory. It's in play. I mean, if you have a 10% chance to be a Nolan Ryan-esque pitcher, yeah. you're already up there with the elitist of the elite, so... Like, his median outcome, and I, I thought long and hard about this, his median outcome, as likely to be better than this pitcher than worse. And this assumes health to a certain extent. I can't be more clear about that. Again, my irrational fear was his elbow exploding on the mound. So his, like, median projection to me is David Cohn. It's not a bad pitcher. In his That's day. a very, very good career. Hall a very good dude. That's the median. It's been eight games. I might be drunk on small sample size myself but it's in there dude's a motherfucker jim henderson's long-term health how concerned are you <laughs> uh i might be at a three <laughs> i might be at a three too <laughs> through 36 pitches last night and i don't even know how much we're not elite athletes steve we're not. Hey, speak for yourself. <laughs> it wasn't... He had what? He didn't even have like a full day. He had basically like 18 hours, hours 18, yeah. 20 hours before he had to come back and pitch. And of course he was down five miles an hour in a 0-0 zero, zero game. I, I mean, look, I, I made this joke on Twitter already and transposed the words, so I'll make it on the podcast with the words in the right order. I can't type in my freaking iphone i was very angry i was upset at work today busy day and had jim henderson coming into a tie game after he threw 34 pitches 36 pitches a lot of pitches last night his shoulder's not long for this world i compared it to a ticking time bomb i don't want terry collins being the one pick the red or the blue wire there because <laughs> it doesn't end well I mean, for the long-term health of the club, if, say, you know, Jim Henderson was hurt, I, you know, I don't feel like that would be a major, major blow. Sure, but we've we've seen this movie but, before. He'll keep yes. blowing him out there like he did with Bobby Parnell, like he did with Kyle Farnsworth. Right. As a man, I've, I feel for Jim Henderson. I hope I just reminded all of you that Kyle Farnsworth was a Met and pitching high-leverage innings for them, if you'd yeah. forgotten that. 
So we'll move uh, into even more high leverage situations. Jay, you're as familiar. How concerned are you? Not concerned. I'm at a one. I'm. Uh, I I understand that argument. And in in most cases, I would be would be at a one. It's been a weird opening schedule. He's been sick. He, he's very possibly quite under the weather still. The sinker still looks nasty, even at ninety three to ninety five. Here's my general why I'm at a two. He's not throwing a splitter to lefties. And he's not throwing a slider much at all either. I don't know why. I don't have a good explanation for it. It might be something he's actively... It might be an active strategy on his part. I don't know. But I can't go the full two because he's using Danza Kaduro still, Steve Siffa. <laughs> Very happy about that. Keep on rolling. We'll Absolutely. see. He has a day off, which he desperately needs. <laughs> yeah. As does all of the Mets bullpen. So. How concerned are you about Matt Harvey? Also at a one. I'm not concerned. I'm just yeah. not very concerned. Yeah. You seem you seem pretty uh, copacetic <laughs> right now. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's eight games. He's not missing a ton of bats. I haven't been able to see either of his starts. The first one coincided with WrestleMania. The second one, I was sitting in uh, behind home plate at Nice Egg Stadium on Sunday. So until I see it, I can't really. I've only watched two Mets games this year out of the eight. And I picked possibly the worst two to watch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were two losses, which is, it is what it is, but... You have to see the Steven Matz get shelled and uh, Noah Syndergaard pitch great and then lose 2-1. to one. So there was that. The Mets team defense. Um, over the long term, I guess I'm at a 2. But at the same time, I'm at a, at a 1 because it's nothing that I didn't particularly expect. You know what I mean? Hmm. It's not like I was expecting, you know, there to be gold glovers at every position. Yeah, so the, so the good, I mean, like, Darno's throwing better than I expected. He looks much better throwing this year. Uh, Walker and Cabrera, more passable up the middle than I expected. I mean, the outfield defense is what it is. I think we all know the the strength and limitations there. And again, it comes down to something I've harped on the podcast over the last year or so. Punting defense is fine to the extent the 2016 Mets are punting defense if the team hits at the level you expect them to, which they haven't so far. It's been eight games. I think I lean more towards it's early, but I'm concerned, but I've been concerned since November, so here we are. Yeah. It could be a liability, but we've known this going in, so it's just it's to be expected what it is. How concerned are you about Daniel Murphy winning the National League MVP this year? Um, I'm not. I mean, could Murphy hit 500 for the rest of the season? He's got to go into one of those Murphy-esque slumps eventually. The interesting, interesting thing to me here is that he had, I would say, one of his better seasons as a Met last year in the first 
month, he probably should have been on the disabled list with the leg issue, hamstring, I think it was, that he had. And they rushed him back for opening day, and he didn't hit it all in April. Like I said, he's going to have that late-inning home run off Addison Reed. Or at this point, you know, I'll, I'll revise it to the corpse of Jim Henderson. <laughs> <laughs> He'll still be out there. Yeah. Um, in, like, June. They don't play the Nats for a while, I feel like. I don't think so. But it's going to happen. And that's okay, you know. Whatever. We'll still do that Jeff Francoeur bomb at some point. <laughs> so the Braves are so bad, I don't even... I talked about this in 180, but we ended up watching the uh, Cardinals-Braves game at Food and Fire in Johnson City, New York. Very good draft beer selection. I was impressed. Um, but they didn't have... Uh, well, they had direct TV. So they, if it was on SNY, it would have been fine, but it was on Pix11, so I couldn't watch it. So I ended up watching the Carlos Martinez versus Julio Tehran. Braves and Cardinals game. Just watching the Braves is, is that such a brutal team to watch? That wasn't a very good start for Tehran either. No, but I mean the Cardinals lineup's pretty good. They have fucking Hazel Baker or whatever's hitting six hundred because it's the Cardinals. <laughs> I don't even know anymore. Non off brand Missouri Devil Magic. Yes, the full fledged Cardinals <laughs> Devil Magic. But just they're so bad. They're unwatchable. There's nobody like Maybe the second, like at least with the Phillies, they're scrappy. They can pitch a little bit. Their starting pitching's okay. Bullpen's another story, but their starting pitching's okay. You know they've got a few guys that at least will are major league quality players. You know, Odubel Herrera, major league quality player. You know, Mikhail Franco, major league quality player. Like who's the dude on the Braves? Like. I already told the story about like having to look up who the third baseman was. There was just like a hit to like right field or something. I made a play. Who the hell is that? It was like Nick Swisher. It wasn't Nick Swisher. It was uh, Nick Markakis. Sorry, Swisher on a minor league deal with the Yankees. It's Nick Markakis. He had a beard, so I didn't recognize him. But they gave him like a three-year deal. <laughs> He's still Nick yep. Markakis. And they're sort of and again they they've really revamped their system. But those guys are a little bit further away than, than the. And the Phillies guys, you know, the Nick Williams and the J.P. Crawford and the Jake Thompson, Mark Appels of the world. It's those, that Braves team's going to be brutal to watch. Well, Maybe you get Aaron Blair at some point. Congratulations. <sighs> and we'll wrap this segment up. Well, you know what? I feel no pity for the Braves. So I don't either. Yeah, fuck them. We've got one last topic. Terry Collins, New York Mets manager. Where are you, Steve? I mean, again, I'm I'm at a two, but really feeling like a one because it's Terry. We we've known for years this is Terry, and Terry's gonna Terry. I'm full fucking whole hog here. It's Panic City, baby. <laughs> oh, how do you use Jim Henderson in the seventh inning of this game? How do you? It's, the whole process. I mean, he had nothing. And then you bring in Robles, who threw 50 pitches on Monday and is also sitting three to four miles an hour down from where he usually is. And somehow just, like, guts it out, like, 94 over the heart of the plate. And it's the Marlins, so they're going to swing through that on occasion. List, 
Listen, nerd. All right, <laughs> Terry Collins is going to be managing the NL All Star team. He is. So that's all. Adding I have to, to my say. hope that Bartolo Colon somehow makes that squad. <laughs> Manager's discretion when the five fucking pitchers drop out or pitch on that Sunday. <laughs> I'm feeling good. All Star April thirteenth, baby. Bar bar and doesn't work. I'm trying to make like a portmanteau out of it, but it doesn't work. I'm most of the way through this Manhattan, which if you follow me on Twitter, you saw I made on Periscope before we started recording this (laughs) for some reason. Yeah, I know. It wasn't a great idea. We had seven people tune in. It's fine. It's a very good Manhattan. Can you see who those seven people were? I I could when they first started logging in, but then Mm -hmm. I started like doing the whatever. So I don't know. I wonder who they were. I wonder what what they're doing at their lives. They're watching you. (laughs) Make a Manhattan on Periscope before I record this podcast. But that takes us to our emails. We're doing things a little weird this week. We didn't have any emails until roughly, let's see. Like three hours ago? 4.16 p.m., so four hours ago. (laughs) Shockingly, our listeners are also not thrilled with Terry Collins' in-game management. I'll give you the subject lines. They are cripes. And Terry Collins' in-game management since Bob Guerin's departure, which seems highly specific. They're from Tom and Kenneth. And I guess before we answer these emails in the middle of the show, like weirdos, we'll do housekeeping. This is Amazing Avenue Audio, episode 181. Amazing Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. You can find us on the internet at AmazingAvenue.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash Avenue. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio, and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. You can also find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from uh, blogtalkradio.com slash Avenue, or listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Steve Sippa. You can follow him on Twitter at Steve Sippa. That was the housekeeping. These are the emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. I'm not even going to read these in these in their entirety. I'm pretty checked out right now, if I'm honest. <laughs> so Tom thinks... He's, he's with us on the Henderson thing being insane. But Tom thought that Terry was bringing in Familia to face Stanton in the 8th because it was a high-leverage spot and would bring Reed or someone else to pitch the ninth. because it's crazy to have your most valuable bullpen arm throw three times in 40 hours or so with a five-out outing on the third day. Nope. It isn't. If, what, what were you thinking? As soon as he came in, I was blasting about it on Twitter.com. Closers pitch the ninth inning. That's it. And the, the eighth end. sometimes, too. Right. Well, I mean, if he's in the game in the eighth, he's coming back. So the his, his challenge to us is, gentlemen and or Kate, is to pour yourself another stiff cocktail. Well, that's not going to happen. And then come up with a more ridiculous bullpen usage pattern for today's game. Can you do it, Steve Sippa? I'm just going to have to go back and look at some of the Dusty Baker tapes, I guess. I mean, so, 
One of my regular complaints with the elders in front office has been their weird management of the 25-man roster. 40-man roster, too, but the back end of the 25-man roster. Look, we know DeGrom's on paternity leave. That's fine. You call up Rafael Montero because he's on turn. He's probably the freshest arm in the system right now because of all the rainouts in Vegas recently. I guess that's fine. You can make a case for Kill Morris because Binghamton's had their share of rainouts too, and it's right up the road. But you fly out Montero, fine. Why do you fly out Montero when he is actively hated by your manager? When we decide you fly out a fresh arm, you expect in a situation like that. Look, Brett gave you six good innings. Henderson threw thirty pitches last night. Robles threw 50 on Monday. You're short in the pen. Familia's still under the weather, probably. Addison Reed thrown a bunch this week. Antonio Bastardo threw two innings on Monday. Why do you call up the fresh arm that your manager hates and probably doesn't want to use? Call up Morris. Call up Smoker. You know a pitch recently, as did Lugo. Call fucking Dario Alvarez. I don't know. It's <laughs> that your manager will actually use. Terry don't, call, don't call up Dario Alvarez. Terry specifically said after the game that he was saving him if there were extra innings. Montero. While. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Which, okay. Terry's going to Terry. Jim Henderson said he was okay. He threw 36 pitches last night. And he didn't look great last night either. Again. I don't know how long Henderson is for this world. The pitcher the formerly world being where his shoulder is still attached to the rest of his arm. But maybe be a little more judicious with your use of uh, Jim Henderson. I don't know. More ludicrous bullpen. Okay, I'll, this isn't for today's game, but what... I think I tweeted this out Monday while Matt's was getting shelled. What position player do you want to see pitch on Monday? Mm. With the knowledge that if it had come to it, it would have been Eric Campbell. <laughs> I mean, do we, in do a we perfect want to world, see... what pitcher, what uh, position player do you want to see pitch? For comical effect or for like effectiveness? Who do you think the best pitcher is on the 2016 Mets that is ostensibly a position player? Uh, I would go Cespedes. And he's got the arm. Mm. He could make it work. I would assume that, you know, either Plawecki or Darno would possibly be more right, accurate. So the, it's always the, the, the catchers yeah. are the the dudes there because they usually have plus arms and they can just sort of ball behind the ear and throw. That's why a lot of uh, when you see position converts pitching have success it's usually catchers um henry owens jumps to mind jason mott another one so sure probably darno over ploiecki i think he has the better arm i was lobbying for my main man future playoff hero wilmer flores the millennial ed crane pool <laughs> the plus arm i have no idea what his mechanics would look like but ligaris touched 95 out of the outfield so I don't know if you want to want to risk the arm. Maybe Lucas Duda has something to prove after the Rusty Kunz uh, scouting report. <laughs> take the ball. I don't know. 
I don't have a good ludicrous bullpen usage here. I mean, we all sat through the game. Following on game day at work, listen to the radio. Kenneth thinks we have reached new levels of tariness, and he is worried that since Bob Guerin has left for the Dodgers that he might have had more influence over in-game decisions than any of us realized. So I don't think Bob Guerin was really managing the pitching staff, is the thing. That's Worthen and Collins. And we know this is their blind spot. With Dan Worthen, you get the plus plus, the 80 grade slider, you get the command jump, you get the you get the right pitch for the right dude. But you also get the rub some dirt on it, dude. And the inability to identify when somebody doesn't have it late in games for your starters or the willingness to you just roll Jim Henderson out there every day. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts of the 2016 Mets with Dan Worth and his pitching coach. I don't think it's really Garen, um, and I don't think that, you know, Dick Scott is a, has been a loyal soldier to his organization. He gets it. He knows both the sabermetric side and the scouting side, sort of the soft skills. Now, does he have full buy-in from Terry like Bob Garen did? Did they go out for dinner and talk about basketball? I don't know. As I recall, the Bob Guerin bench coach story being. But it's an eight-game sample size, so I don't want to make any grand proclamations about this. But this is very much in line with sort of the Terry Collins, Dan Worthen School of Pitching Management, such as it is. Nothing new, nothing unexpected. Nope. I'm still at full panic city, though, man. That's fine. Ring the bell in the town hall. I assume the town hall has a bell, like a big bell. Time to ring the bell. Those are your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. Steve, Greg, and I saw a baseball game on Sunday. Awesome. It did happen. There was a, it was nice. I got sunburned. We both got sunburned. It was an afternoon game. I'm like, oh, the sun is nice. It's like 45 degrees. I'm usually militant about putting on sunscreen for day games or even night games really because I'm there at you know, 4.30 or whatever to see batting practice. But I didn't think about it because it was freezing cold. The sun is nice. And then I woke up Monday morning. My nose looks red. The only <laughs> part of my body that was exposed to the sun. And it's a big target. I'm Italian, so it's the way it goes. But I did see one Binghamton Mets game on Sunday afternoon not that exciting i had kind of counted on uh ahmed rosario anthony alford and potentially connor green all being on those two teams that i watched for that series it didn't happen for me but i will say jeff mcneil yep it's legit i don't know it's probably like a roll four dude but uh, i've said this before about mcneil and i'm more confident about it now if you want to predict a dude in the system to suddenly turn into daniel murphy it might be him I mean, his his ceiling has never been really much more than you know spot starter or utility guy, but his his thirty five uh, pounds, pounds of, of weight gain. You know, they're gonna make that pounds of muscle. I mean, it, it's that much more realistic that he actually. My description that was ceiling. he now looks like a major league baseball player, like an average sized major league baseball in like infielder, average sized middle infielder. That's fine. 
that is uh, better. The ball jumps off his bat. Uh, you'll be able to read my Jeff McNeil content at the BP Mets probably tomorrow. Greg has a piece in the work, a piece in the works on McNeil that is also excellent. You'll be able to see that at Amazing Avenue. All Jeff McNeil all the time. There wasn't much else to write home about. Lee Mateo's back and exactly the same pitcher he was in Brooklyn, which doesn't play as well in Double A. I didn't see Akil Morris. Sorry, Steve. That's okay. No Akil Morris content for you. And I'm just going to uh, say no comment on my Dom Smith looks with one game, and I'll see the teams again at the end of the month. Two weekends from now, back in New Hampshire. I'm in Lakewood this weekend to see Lakewood against Greensboro, doing some BP national coverage there. See Jason Groom, who might go 1-1 overall on Saturday night as well. That's what I got. May end up back in Binghamton at some point. It's certainly possible. Gazelman is on the list of things to see. I tweeted this out, but I did confirm they touched 98 on the Chargers guns, which is pretty impressive. It's one start. Let's see him do it again. But if you're going to pop up velocity, pop up velocity at you know 40 degrees in April in Binghamton might be more legit than pop up velocity elsewhere. It's possible. We'll see. Like I said, I got three on Binghamton at the end of the month, which gives me a 50-50 shot at seeing Gazelman. I mean, it might end up being like uh, Rainy Lara, Kyle Regno, and Mickey Janice, but... Hey, Mickey Janice is always... Uh... Them's the breaks. I haven't seen him. I got to see Tyler Pill. He looks like Tyler Pill. I've seen Tyler Pill a lot. He looks like Tyler Pill every time. Apparently, Pedro Lopez is using, putting him on the bench now as a pinch hitter, though, which... Interesting. It is interesting. I've heard her story that his BP is very impressive, and he's, I think, 19 for 45 in his career with a couple bombs. He was oh, a two-way not... player at Cal State Fullerton, so... It's not bad. I mean... Pitchers who rake. So that's your BMETS report, such as it is. As we do, it's now time for an IFK Gothenburg update. They went into Stockholm and came away with a wild and crazy 3-3 draw with AIK. Which knocks them down uh, one point behind Jugarden at this early point in the season. So a pretty good result. I would have signed up for a draw there going into Stockholm. They were up 3-2 late behind a couple of goals from Tobias Hussein, I guess it is, which is unfortunate. H-Y-S-E-N with an accent over the E. I actually decided to go back and look it up today, watch some YouTube videos of how the the British pronounced it back when uh, his father played. There it is, Hussein, apparently. Uh, Our man on the ground, Anders, described it to me more as Hussein. So maybe we'll go with that. I don't know. But he scored two. He braced three and three. So the goals are coming. You know, a tough game. We'll just keep moving on. But I'm uh, pleasantly surprised. Three games into uh, the Allsvenskan Liga. He's keeping expectations low might be key this year. We'll see how it goes. Though. As a Mets fan, you should be... Uh... Yeah, I'm well-versed in doing that. So, Steve, it's been a few weeks now. Well, two weeks, to be specific. But uh, 
your NXT TakeOver and or WrestleMania thoughts. And yes, there will be wrestling content for the next five minutes or so, so feel free to, uh, for those of you that are, that find this in it, you stick of the muds, that find this in anathema to them, shut off the podcast. None of us are offended. I won't even know. But any, uh, any hot takes, general thoughts? Um, well, obviously, NXT TakeOver was amazing. So how how high do you go on the Shinsuke Nakamura Sami Zayn match? Uh, it was f- 4.75 maybe for me. Mm. It was a very good match. I think the so only thing that it was... Between Dave Meltzer and me then. Yeah, the only thing that it was lacking, I guess, was, you know, a build-up. But, you know... Uh, so that would that would be what puts it over the top. I get know? the argument for not enough near falls, but I don't know what you, how you do that in a debut match. What are you? What moves are you going to kill? Like they, they very much protected the haluva kick for Zayn. Yes. And you're not going to burn the Bama Yee slash Kinshasa in the first match. It's not the Styles Clash, you know. So <laughs> 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 that like Chris Jericho could just kick out of at uh at, well, look, I have no great. I'm not a huge AJ Styles fan, but I think New Japan had the right idea in turning the Styles Clash into like an un kick out a, a bull monster. I mean, for me, it's the full five snowflakes. Like I watched the match, watched the rest of the show. When the show was over. I watched the match again. I woke up the next morning, watched the match again, <laughs> and it's just it's for me. It's a perfect wrestling match. You know, it's on par with the best matches in company history, whether it's Brian and Triple H at WrestleMania 30, or uh, what are the big ones for me? Steamboat Savage, um, Guerrero Lesnar. I think that jumps to mind immediately. Uh, Austin Rock at was it? What was the uh, Austin turn? Was that 17? Yeah, yeah. It was just it was just a perfect pro wrestling match, and Zayn was amazing. He's probably the best babyface worker in the world right now. I'm sure they'll fuck it up. The weird thing about WrestleMania is nothing at WrestleMania mattered. Yeah, that was... It was a long show, Steve. Yeah, I know. It was a very long show. No wrestling show. should be five hours and 45 minutes. Even the CCW shows I went to that started an hour late. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to say it's a waste of time. I mean, the, the latter match was fun as a stunt show. Yeah. And I thought the, the triple threat women's match was excellent. You finally got the first sort of like NXT level women's match on a WWE stage. But everything else was the Shane Taker match was bizarre to me. Yeah, that was unnecessary. Uh, Especially the, ma- the aftermath that nothing actually that happened mattered. Right. right, and that was like the ridiculous like hot match for the crowd and then you had triple h reigns which was just dead sort of the i mean i sat through wrestlemania 18 and in toronto where a similar thing happened triple h still in the main event at wrestlemania that was 15 years ago now 2002 14 years ago where you had the incredibly hot hogan rock match and they made evented triple h against jericho where the build-up was like jericho picking up stephanie's dog's droppings Good old WWE. Yeah. But we still keep watching. Jericho was on the show too, wrestling AJ Styles. 
But you're right. It's 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 weird to view it through that lens. Because like those things should matter, I guess, but I guess there's no real consequences. Yeah, that's that's the issue. You literally could have not watched WrestleMania, not yeah. really missed anything amazing, you know, in ring wise, and then tunes in the next night and be like, Well, you know, you literally did not miss anything. That's your wrestle chat for the week. That's your podcast for the week. You got anything else, Steve? Uh, no, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, we got more about baseball to talk about. We're in. We're into the swing of the season now. I don't even know who they after they play after Cleveland. I know their April schedule is easy. This is not something I've particularly charted out. But let's take a look. Off day. Indians, Indians, Indians. Oh, it's Phillies again. Great. Maybe right, they'll, I'll take that. Maybe they'll win uh, two out of three this time. be too much to ask. The only scheduled pitcher is Syndergaard on Monday. Which will be fun. Against that Phillies lineup. He might uh, do something crazy. I had mentioned in the West Wing Slack, which is at this point the worst kept secret in podcast history, that my bold prediction, one of my bold predictions, I had to do one on Amazing Avenue and one at BP Mets, should have been that Noah Syndergaard breaks the single-game strikeout race, uh, record at some point this season. Well, the way he's pitching now in the Phillies lineup, that's yeah. a greater than 0% possibility. I guess the counter-argument is nobody throws enough pitches anymore to really do that necessarily. But Yeah, that's true. He was fairly efficient while striking out a shit ton of Marlins, so it's possible. And I'll probably get a no decision doing it. Of course. But if that does happen, we'll definitely be talking about it next week on another edition of Amazing Avenue Audio.